Trent McClellan, and you're listening to my podcast called The Generators. Every single week, I have a cool guest, and we talk about uh, life, professions, creativity, success, failure, and all sorts of other cool stuff. In every single one of these conversations, I learned a great deal, and I'm pretty sure you're going to learn a great deal, too. So uh, hang on tight, and thanks for listening to The Generators. Tune. Still a good tune. After all these years, after all these years, hey, welcome to the Generators Podcast. How are you doing? Are you having a good week? Did you miss me last week? Huh? Little trick in there. Little took a little week off there. See if you'd notice. Huh? You missed me. I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. It sincerely does. But I'm back this week. Brand new episode. Uh, thanks for listening. I hope things are going well for you this week. Summer is winding down. You can feel it. Have you, have you had that time where you feel the wind has changed temperature-wise? It's just a little touch cooler than it was a few weeks prior, you know? You can feel that fall wind just tap, tap, tapping on your door, huh? And one morning you're going to wake up, and this is the telltale sign, the leaves started to fall on the ground maybe it's just one leaf you're like oh maybe coincidence huh maybe it was it had an illness maybe it it just died and fell off the tree maybe huh the next day four or five more it's on man it's on fall she's coming but it's a beautiful time of year so don't get depressed it's a transitionary time it's all good it comes every year as far as i know fall comes every single year so i don't it's nothing to fret about i wouldn't worry about it it's gonna be beautiful it's amazing, you know, just look around at all the amazing colors that you see in the fall, huh? And if you got kids, you're getting those little buggers back to school, so you got some free time on your hands. I know what you're thinking. You're not a bad parent for thinking that, okay? I'm telling you, I don't even got kids, and I'm telling you right now, you're not a bad parent if you're thinking, you know what? I love you, but I wouldn't mind you go spend seven, eight hours somewhere else for a while, you know? Let some other adult deal with you for a little bit. I wouldn't mind having... A chance to finish a thought. Maybe maybe actually finish a coffee while it's still hot. You know? I feel you. I feel you. I work with kids. I know what it's like. You're not a bad person. So forgive yourself, okay? Good. Doesn't that feel better? Okay. Um, we. Uh, I'm going to start off the podcast this week with a little um, a little tribute. Uh, one of our, uh, our comedian colleagues passed away... Um, uh, I think late last week, uh, Mr. Bobby Keel. Bobby was a comedian um, that was one of the first comedians that I saw live when I moved to Calgary many, many years ago. And um, I did. I wrote a little Facebook post about this, but uh, I remember he gave uh, a workshop talk. And for those of you not familiar with the the comedy scene here in Canada, quite often what they used to do when you were uh, a new comedian was there would be a a workshop on a on a weeknight and a headliner would uh talk to you know wannabe comedians for an hour tell them you know road stories and do's and don'ts and uh, how to kind of make your way in the business and uh i remember going to one of these workshops before i ever started comedy probably before i ever got on stage and bobby keel was one of the one of the workshop um instructors and he was just talking about how tough this business is and um you know, I wrote this in the post. It was one of the first times I'd heard this concept of 
you know, along the lines of talent not being enough and that you will have to persevere and deal with all sorts of other things to be able to survive, you know, this world of entertainment. And, uh, and he was so right. And it was, it was kind of jolting at the time. It seemed a little, uh, blunt. And I, I was like, I remember him saying, look around this room right now. There was probably about, I don't know, 15 of us, you know, all really eager, excited. Life was amazing. We're just discovering stand up, and we're very excited about it and energized. And he said, look around this room and realize that most of you will not be doing comedy within the next few years. And again, we took that as kind of like, what? What's he, why is he being so negative? But he was just getting at the point of this is this is a tough game and it's going to wear a lot of you down. And uh, he was right. You know, a couple of years later, there were not many of us still standing. And uh, again, it didn't come down to talent. It just came down to how many, you know, punches to the face uh, and how many body blows can you take before you go? You know what? There's easier lives out there. And I think I'd rather do something else. And uh, so he was pretty right. So, um, so yeah, unfortunately, he passed away. And uh, I think for a lot of us comedians that came after him, I think it's a lot of those guys and girls that, you know, started in the industry here in Canada that kind of blaze a trail for you. You know, you they, they do all those gigs starting out. They're the ones kind of, they're kind of the foundation of the industry when it starts out, you know. So, uh my condolences to his family and friends, and um, yeah, man, I hope uh, I hope you're not suffering anymore. So uh, yeah, shout out to Bobby Keel here to start the podcast. Um, on a little bit more of an uplifting note, I uh, my good friend, Mr. Sean Majunder, as you may know, uh, good buddy, multi-talented. This guy, I mean, there's nothing this guy can't do. This guy's this guy, you know, actor, comedian, writer, entrepreneur. Uh, building wharfs. I mean, I, I don't know what else you need from somebody. I don't know what other tools do you need in a belt, you know, more than what this guy has, you know? Anyway, he's got his amazing um, music food fire festival called The Gathering. It's coming up this weekend. So it starts Thursday, which is tomorrow for me because it's Wednesday. Uh, I think the comedy portion of the uh, festival starts tomorrow night. They have an absolutely killer lineup. This is in Burlington, Newfoundland, Sean's hometown. Beautiful, quaint little place right on the coast. Um, I was there last year. Just an incredible experience. And uh, the comedy lineup this year, I mean, absolute killers. They have uh, Mike Lynch, Steve Patterson, and Matt Wright. And I think probably Sean will hop on those shows too. I mean, just that alone is worth going to the gathering itself just for the comedy portion of it. But on top of that, they have uh, amazing food going on, cooked all weekend. They have um, the executive chef from the Fogo Island Inn is going to be there. Um, Jonathan Guju is his name. Super talented, incredible chef. They do chef hikes. You go up and see beautiful scenery, and then there's a big cook-up. Um, there's food all day on the actual grounds itself. They also have incredible music. This year, there's going to be Mr. George Canyon, country music legend here in Canada. George Canyon's playing on the old stage down there. And um, we've also got Rich O'Corn as well, super talented, super talented um, musician in his own right. So, I mean, it is just an amazing weekend. And I honestly feel this. I'm not just saying this because it is, um, you know, it's a project put on by a good friend of mine. It is, I think, one of the most unique experiences you will have 
anywhere. It's such a quaint thing. You're meeting people from all over the place. People come from far and wide to go to the gathering. Um, you're having incredible food the whole time. It's a real sense of togetherness um, is the way I can put it. Picture a massive, massive music festival. Now kind of scale that down to something that's far more intimate. And then you combine food with that, nature with that, uh, some hilarious comedy with that. Uh, it's it's just a very, very unique experience, and I think it's unlike anything else in Canada that I've ever seen personally. So I think if you're not doing anything this weekend, or you know what, even if you were going to do something else this weekend, you cancel that shit, okay, and you get yourself down to the gathering, okay? I wish I could go. I got other stuff going on here in Calgary, but I would be there if, if, if I could be there. But if you should be there. You should get yourself there. Um, and what, what I want you to do is go to thegatheringburlington.com and get yourself some tickets right now. Call up your best bud and go, look, here's what we're doing. You know how we do the same boring shit every weekend? You know how we do that? Yeah. Well, I'm sick of that, man. Okay? Here's what I'm going to do. I just heard some dude's podcast. I don't know what his name is. Trevor McLaren or whatever the hell his name is. He's got some kind of podcast, okay, called The Garbage Raiders or whatever that's called. Anyway, he talked about this thing called The Gathering. He said it's amazing, and we're going to go. Go get yourself some tickets. I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. It is a fantastic weekend. And uh, like I said, if I didn't have stuff going on, I would be there because it was a blast last year. Had a great time. And uh, as I said, I think it's unlike any other experience you will have uh, this summer. I can guarantee you that. And I just told you, summer's winding down. You know, you want experiences. You want memories. You get yourself to the gathering. Okay? That's all you got to do. You thank me later and go, man. What a unique and wild and cool experience. Absolutely amazing. You know what? I'm going to give you a pre, you're welcome. You're welcome. Okay, there we go. That's uh, that's taken care of. All right, um, what else have I got going on here quickly before I set up the old, uh, this episode here? I have um, my newsletter sign up right now. Folks are signing up for my newsletter here in Canada specifically. Because I'm going to be giving away uh, two $25 gift cards to Tim Hortons. to uh, So that's two separate winners. Each will receive a $25 gift card from Tim Hortons. And uh, I might throw in another thing or two in there too as well. So all you got to do is go to TrentsComedy.com, sign up for the newsletter, and uh, then I'm going to do a draw after. If you sign up by August 31st, I'm going to do a draw. Pick two names out of the uh, subscribers that I have in my email list. And uh, two of you are going to receive that and maybe a few other little knickknacks. So, uh, yeah, you can do that. Folks have been signing up like crazy over the last couple of days. So thanks to all those folks. If you sign up for the email, it's not a spam type thing. I just send you some updates from time to time about what's going on with me. So maybe some funny videos, a uh, little inside peek. So it's kind of some, some uh, stuff that you don't get if you're just following me on social media. Um, some kind of perks that way. Also, you'll be the first to know about shows and ticketing information, and uh, you may even get some uh, pre-sale access. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to have some tour dates coming up real soon. So, um, yeah, go to TrentsComedy.com and sign up for the newsletter. That would be great. Um, yeah, so this is uh, this is it, man. This is uh, this is a thing. And uh, I should tell you the date. It's August 22nd, 2018. Huh? Look at that. Just the years just floating on by. Is there anything now to five years? Do you feel like that? Like five years is nothing. That is that is a cup of coffee. Five years, half a decade. I mean, does it even, is it, is it even anything? Does it matter? Just reinforces the fact that this is a long game. You got to think long game. This is, there's nothing. 
the day-to-day yeah put the work in but it's long game you're in it for the long haul you know what i'm saying um so yeah uh by the way newsletter if you get yourself signed up by august 31st 2018 you do qualify if you're a subscriber by that time august 31st 2018 you have uh, you'll you'll uh, qualify to be in the draw. Okay, there you go. All right, let's set up this episode of uh, of the podcast. I was so grateful to have this dude on. Um, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, his name is Rory Scoville, everybody. Who's originally um, uh, from the America. I think he's from South Carolina originally. Now makes his home in uh, in Los Angeles and. Uh, Hilarious dude. I met him a bunch of years ago when he was coming up through Calgary uh, doing some shows, and he was one of the most unique performers I'd I'd ever seen. Um, his ability to just take material and then go into improv type stuff and use the whole stage, and was absolutely fearless in what he was doing. And I don't mean that in a the topics were edgy and and those kind of things. I just mean in terms of the risks that he took artistically. It was fun time for him up there. It was playtime, and the audience always came along with him. And uh, he's continued to do that. I mean, he's done a, a, you know tons of late night spots on on U.S. television, and also was the co-star of Amy Schumer's latest movie, I Feel Pretty. And I went to see it, and I gotta say, I told him this. I texted him afterwards. I'm like, dude, I forgot it was you up there. I think he did such a great job as that character. I literally was like, Oh, that's, that's this person. That's, that's not my friend. That's a person. This, that's this character. It was so believable. Did an amazing job. The movie was great. The message of the movie was great as well. I think. Um, so if you haven't seen, I feel pretty, I think you should. And, uh, yeah, so this was a phoner. Uh, he was in Los Angeles at the time working on a bunch of stuff and, uh, I was able to chat with him and, and this one is a fantastic conversation. We did a lot of laughing as well. And, uh, yeah, I hope this one, uh, hope this one treats your ears well and, uh, hope you enjoy this conversation with my good buddy, Mr. Rory Scofield. I haven't talked to you and I was trying to think before we started, I was like, when was the last time I actually spoke with you? And I think it was in the Los Angeles at UCB, I think real quick. Do you remember that? Oh my God. When was that? I do. I remember it like it's a dream though. You ever have those short interactions where you don't know if you had it or if you dreamt it? <laughs> That's, they're kind of terrifying because you don't, how do you find out the answer then? They're, You'd have to ask somebody and you like, never do. What's he talking about? <laughs> and I feel like in stand up, I feel like in stand up, they're like, it's often because you pop in and out of uh, people's lives and they pop in and out of your life so randomly. Yeah. yeah I can't, that, and to, now I'm wondering if this is a dream. Is this even to be quite frank? Is this happening right now? I don't even know if it is. Uh, yeah, I think this you you were on the early show. It was like an improv show at UCB where people were firing out topics to you from the audience, and I was on Cameron Esposito's show after you. And I think we just crossed. Oh uh, yeah, real quick. This might have been maybe three years ago, four years ago. Good. Yeah, uh, but get I was last, down here more isn't that, isn't that nuts? I've been down there looking for development deals on the streets, looking through garbage cans, yep. and they're hard to find. I don't know if you know that. And here's the thing. That's what's revolutionary about you, because no one does that. No one looks there. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And I like that you're not afraid to dig. 
people are looking for pitch meetings. I'm doing more ditch meetings. Okay. I'm looking for old pieces That's of exactly paper. That's exactly right. Okay. Is it in a ditch? <laughs> <laughs> trying to solve murders. <laughs> I'm just, you're I'm... more of a, uh, <laughs> you're more of a detective really than yeah. a performer. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's, it's basically a lifelong cold case trying to find development deals <laughs> from old pieces of paper. <laughs> I just I Old. just go through ditches unfolding crumpled up pieces of paper going this could be one right here. I mean you know you, you never know what could be a development deal. <laughs> you don't know what's going to lead to the next thing. He's got a lot of ripped up pay stubs mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that he's trying to tape together to see who made what so he can negotiate the deal. All part of it. He digs. All he part digs. of it. When I do get that deal, Rory, do you understand? <laughs> do you understand the background yeah. work I've already done? <laughs> do you understand the celebrating? Do you understand the level of celebrating that's going to occur? This guy has been digging through ditches for 15 years. <laughs> he's finally found an unused development deal, and now he's a millionaire. So that's that's how it works. Uh, that's the untold story that uh, – I like it. People in entertainment don't want to believe, you know, that you got to get dirty. Well, so, I like it. I, like I believe going. it, and I like it. I like where it's going. Yeah. Um, how was your uh, summer going thus far? What's What's been going on with you? You know, everything's good. I'm going to be shooting a pilot for Comedy Central in early August, uh, which is all very new to me. So we uh, uh, have been... Uh, getting the script ready and getting the green light from Comedy Central to start casting. So right now we're in the middle of casting, and it's so bizarre to be on the other side of uh, something like this now and seeing how it works. And it's very, very revealing. I almost wish there was a class that taught you from top to bottom the steps that you'll go through and how you'll negotiate what your budget is and you know who you can get for what roles it's all very cool but all very new and we're kind of up on the clock we're about four weeks away from shooting so we're hoping we lock in our full cast in the next week or two for wow. sure yeah you're kind of really against the gun it's kind of funny yeah. cause as as like performers entertainers we can be so self-absorbed. Like when you're on the other end of that, it's like, yeah. all right, you get an audition, you got your sides. You're like, I hope I get it. I hope I'm what they're looking for. I and, then, know. and then you leave and it's like, that's it. Whereas on the other side of it, it's like, we're juggling a million balls. Houses are on fire. A million. <laughs> yes. And also like in standup, it's so just us that we never have to, uh, you know, it's not really such a team effort where you kind of, you know, you just yeah. handle yourself and you make sure that the thing you're booked for, you, you know, you make sure you show up and you deliver what you hope is a good show and whether it's good or not, either way, it's just you. But now like this other thing, it's like, no, you're going to be collaborating with about 20 different brains who all have to make decisions and find common ground and you have to do it in a certain amount of time. And it's like, well, it's not impossible to do, but man working creatively with even just a few people is is a tough process you know yep it is for sure because you have to kind of i realized too how attached i was to to my way of thinking and then like being on a tv show last season it's like you realize okay that's your vision fantastic but we don't have the money to do that or uh (laughs) that's like we don't have the time to shoot that like oh okay well exactly quite think about that but uh 
<laughs> and then you start to, I mean, that's what I think is like beneficial. Cause then, I mean, as, as you, you know, have moved forward from, from your show and as you do more of it and as my, like, you know, as we go down these paths, you start to go, Oh, now when I write something, I now know the things that people need to see or need to keep in mind. Like, you know, you wouldn't write, you know, now you think, oh, well, maybe I'm writing too many. For instance, on my show, it's like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have so many kids in these scenes because that's going to be a lot of, you know, logistics, making sure we have the kids at the right time and they're pulling it off. And then also they have to make sure they're getting their school in while we're shooting. You know, just something like that where you now go, okay, well, let's take a look at the script and cut as much kid-related scenes that aren't necessary or where we don't need kids to be there. Let's cut them out. And, you know, that's something you don't know until you write it and someone goes, hey, just so you know, that's going to be expensive and it's going to take up this much time. And then you also start to learn, at least in my case, I'm I'm just starting to learn it, uh, how, you know, where that phrase time is money really fits into production (laughs) because you have five, I think we have five days to shoot this pilot and literally time is literally money. It's literally uh, exchanged. You're you're literally buying (laughs) the time and having to spend money on making sure you have enough time to get things. So it's, it's all kind of interesting. I've, I've learned a lot for sure. Yeah. I, I, that's funny. You mentioned that too. Cause I remember like doing takes uh, on our show last season and I would be like, you know, we'd, we'd busted through a few takes and I look at someone behind camera, look at their watch. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> I forget. Like yeah. you're, you're up there yeah. being silly. Like, Oh yeah, no, I blew that. Like whatever. Do you realize someone's like, yeah, we got other stuff to do. Um, yeah. You wouldn't mind uh, giving us a clean one. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone's like... glad that you're having fun and telling your jokes, but can you please? <laughs> I know you think it's hilarious to tickle him for some reason, yeah. but that's not in the yeah. script, and we're going to need a clean one for editing purposes. Yeah. So... This is not a 10-year-old's birthday party, Trent. We need you to be an adult man. <laughs> can I see you just here for a second? Everyone just take a quick look. Trent, can I just see you here can for I? a second? You're not in this room alone. Do you understand? There are other yeah. people's lives affected by what you're doing. Okay, something you don't know is that we are tallying how many times we have to discipline you as an adult man, okay? And it's not good. It's not good for your employment. Doesn't look good. Just give me a quick heads up on Doesn't that look one. Good. That's what I mean. Like yeah, you quick come... heads up. Having to discipline you is very weird for us because you're an adult yeah. and you should know what you need to do but clearly you don't so yeah. but you're right yeah that whole bigger <laughs> that whole bigger piece of like wardrobe people and set design and like you know it's it's sometimes it's very unionized and stuff so people are very much aware of time or as a performer you think there's an infinity infinity amount of it and kind of well no i just thought i'd try it this way it's like so i I've, i realized oh, i better start reeling myself in here a little bit so i think that's something that's that business <laughs> side i guess that you you have to learn but that comes with experience and time right i think so yeah 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 um so did you i remember first meeting you and you had come to calgary alberta man when would you say that was your first time through here up here the great white north my first my first 
my first time through uh, my my Graceland. Yes, your Graceland. Um, That's correct. That was that was 2006 that I I came up there and discovered where my true soul uh, is. Yes, um, at the Blackfoot Inn. That's correct. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I realized that's where my heart truly lives. Truly, and lives. forever will live, and forever will be uh, on the first floor near the elevators. Please that is... make it loud, and please have all the luggage carts come through. I'm not even trying to sleep, so good. <laughs> you, you should know that you're the second person on the podcast who's also mentioned that and how they've changed the flooring now, so it's kind of more. Um, kind of more cobblestone-y, so it, the suitcases rattle oh, even more so good. now as people are going back. Uh, so you want to get back up Good, because so. when I think of, yeah, when I think of, uh, you know, the the Blackfoot Inn, I think of, you know, that cobblestoned trail so many people had to, to walk <laughs> uh, to, get, it's a, to get to the center of town. It's a tribute. It is a and tribute. It's very, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah is... that's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, if you're on the second floor, you truly think you're at a resort. But if you're on the first floor, they're letting you know. They're the everyone there is letting you know where they personally think your career is at. <laughs> and you wake up on that Sunday and go, you know what? There's more out there for yeah. me. I, I know there's more out there. Yeah. I, I, uh... This is the best. This is actually the best I'll ever be at you... this job. And this hotel is letting me know that. <laughs> Humbling. I think some call it humbling. Uh, it's so funny because yeah. have you had these moments where you have other comedians or people who want to try stand up or maybe it's even acting and you could tell in their eyes they're so uh, so eager and it's like it's it's coming from a very humble place and they're like, yeah, man, I've always wanted to try stand up. And and I have part of my brain shifts off now to go and you have no idea what you're in for, but like, I don't want to crush their dream. Yeah. I also want to be supportive and like, Hey man, get to an open mic. And I say all those things, but part of me is like, you have no idea the isolation and loneliness. <laughs> Just, I, you know? I, I know. I think anytime, any, anytime it's brought up to me that someone's like, ah, I'm thinking about trying it. I'm always like, man, I don't think I ever, I don't know that I ever mentioned to anybody that I was thinking about trying it. I think I was like, Oh, I'm going to, I, oh, I found the thing. I'm going to go do it. I'll tell people I'm going to go do it. But I was never like brainstorming and asking anyone how to, try, you know, like what to do. Yeah. Um, but I, who knows? Maybe I'm, maybe I've completely blocked that out of my memory. And someone's like, no, you actually talked to 30 people about how to do it. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I, yeah, I, I still tell people, I'm like, yeah, go for it. I was like, just get on stage. You will know so quickly if you go on stage five times, you will know within that five times if you truly want to do it or not, because there's no way, you know, either you're going to get bit by the bug or it's not for you. Yeah. And you're going to know so quickly. Yeah. When anyone's entertained, like, Oh, I'm thinking about, it. I'm just kind of working on my set. I'm like, Oh, Oh, whatever your set is, doesn't matter. Yeah. If you have two jokes, have two jokes that you think are funny, even if you're going on stage and you are stealing street jokes, just yeah. go on stage and see if you actually enjoy telling those street jokes, whether they're yours or not, you will know very quickly. You might be like, Ooh, fuck. I don't, that was awful. Waiting to go up was I got drunk cause I was so scared. And then I went on and I forgot the second street joke, uh, because I was so nervous and I don't ever want to do it again. It's like, yeah, there you go. You didn't have to, you didn't waste your time concocting what you think is brilliant material. Just, 
go up and tell a fucking knock knock joke and you will know right away exactly i feel like the first year especially is like it's like you're a crazy person like every yeah every experience is different you don't know shit you don't know why things don't work you don't even know why things do work you're literally up there just trying to grasp at straws every single night you're thrown in front of multiple different audiences in different rooms like you're right the first i think first year is like literally just how much of a beating can you take and then at the end it's like okay yeah that's something i i think i can kind of deal with or not deal with what is it called in in science when they're like doing experiments but they have like the the core base um experiment or they have like the core base like test that they compare everything to what is that i can't remember like a, what that's like called. A, ba- a baseline you know what i'm talking about like a baseline is that what you're talking about yeah like the baseline where they're like oh yeah we ran we ran 10 compare all 10 results to this one right. thing uh to to figure out what we're you know to to get to start to put any kind of information together that's what's crazy about stand-up is for that first year if there isn't like a baseline test you're just kind of going yeah are you still there did we lose you every oh can you hear me yeah i got you you. hear me yeah yeah i was saying that uh that first year of stand-up is basically running experiments that have no baseline uh (laughs) thing to compare it to because all the variables all the variables change every single time that you go on stage that you're just kind of blindly walking forward going all right well I, that's what i tell people i'm like if you're having fun on stage then you're probably doing you're probably doing well yes because yeah. if unless you're delusional and we we both know that those uh people are out there but if you're if you're having fun you're probably doing well yeah and that's that's all i've ever i've gotten off stage on some shows where i probably i probably did a c plus and I still got off stage being like, well, I really felt great and I loved it. And then there's shows where I didn't have any fun at all and the crowd loved it. Right. And there's no there's no rhyme or reason. The only gauge you can know every single time is, did I have fun? And you can always answer that question uh, honestly. But yeah, yeah, the first year is just the first year is truly like a science experiment that someone is doing. We all live in this. Uh, simulator and some mad scientist made a bunch of us have this brain where we need constant validation and we have to get on stage. And that mad scientist is laughing at our emotional anguish every day. (laughs) It's so (laughs) true. Like I, (laughs) I really, that's so true, man. Like I feel like I remember doing a show in a small town once and I pulled up outside this small community center and I'm like, I don't know what happened to me, but I had this kind of uh you know, where you kind of step outside yourself for a second and kind of press pause on my life. And I'm like, what I'm about to do is insane. Like, I just drove from another city. I'm going to walk into this room. I don't know any of them. I'm going to walk directly onto the stage and attempt to make them laugh for an hour. Like, when you break it down and boil it down to what it is in essence, it's act- it's actually nuts, actually. Like, when you think, yep, yeah, this is a thing that people do, and you're about to do it, 
and uh, good luck to you. It could be the greatest moment of your life or go horribly, horribly wrong and scar you for life. <laughs> or shatter yeah, or shatter you forever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> One of those things is about to happen and Godspeed. <laughs> and go. And, and now you're on stage. And don't forget to call your agent after you get off. Okay, thank you. Yep. Get out And there. don't. Don't fumble when you pull it out of the mic stand. Okay, there you go. Don't fumble your hands. Okay, don't stutter. And sorry, don't there's no mess up any words. And there's no water. Anyway, get up there. There's no water for you for the full sixty minutes. It's like <laughs> and it's, they forgot water. It's like it oh, really and is. And the mic isn't on. Oh, and for ten seconds they're trying to get the mic on. Okay, oh, good. and there there's go. also Start. a silent auction that they're going to be doing in the back while you're trying to get their attention. <laughs> A million things you're fighting to try and just get this room of people to laugh. Like it really is. It seems monumental at times. So I try, I try and block that out and go, no, no. Like you said, just go up and enjoy yourself and have fun. But when you break it down to its elements, it is like, it's, it really shouldn't work. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that's why when some people, when some people don't think that it's like an art form, it's like, Oh, you don't understand the craft of uh, controlling learning how to control a, a a thing that you cannot see. You don't understand learning how to manipulate and control and uh, uh, play with a vibe yeah. from a group of anywhere from five people to 5,000 people. You have no context of understanding how how to it's it really is like playing an instrument that no one can see and you're just able to which which by the way i there, have there really i have closed some my, kind of like i have closed my act on that very thing <laughs> playing an oh, instrument saying that on saying that's like an instrument no playing an instrument that I'm no one can see that's my closer <laughs> <laughs> i use a harp i normally use a harp <laughs> and it's and it's that instrument it's that instrument that dick van dyke that Dick Van Dyke wears at the beginning of Mary Poppins. So you're just going around stage throwing your arms. And then I explain to the audience this is a metaphor for how I've just played you. That's how I. That's how I like to end. My- <laughs> yeah, and this is how much you got sucked right into my Dick Van Dyke impression. <laughs> No one gets it. No one ever gets it. But I, I, I get I'm having fun yeah, up no there. No one. They applaud because they're like, "Did we miss a huge setup in the middle of his set? That tag. This is a tag to that. What did we miss? He just suddenly had a seizure. I don't. He just started having a seizure was, and then dropped the mic and left the stage. It was like he was brushing a horse. But I, th- I don't know what it, is this charades, we and we're we supposed were, to guess. Yeah, we thought we were playing charades and we were like oh man no comic does this so i see why he gets booked because he's very original very very original very more of a um more more of an art performance it was yeah yeah we didn't laugh a lot you know what i I was different we didn't laugh the whole time but i'll tell you what we thought you know, he made us think. He let, he, sometimes that's more powerful. We, I said, I, when I hired the comedian, I said, will he make us leave our comfort zone? And long as he does that, I think we, we're all winners. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but you're right. It is, it is an insane thing. And the other thing, too, about a room, I, like, you know, it can go away at any second. Like, you can be up there having the time of your life. Everyone's on board. But it's such a fragile thing, like a broken glass, somebody yeah. somebody laughing weird, somebody yelling something. Like you can lose that yeah. that thing, whatever that is, you know? 
Um, and that's the thing about I it. Think, like you're riding a I wave think some the whole people time. Maybe, I think some people maybe get to that conclusion because they see people and they're like, who make it look so effortless. And they're like, oh, look, they go up and they just, you know, look how they're doing it. And they, you want to explain to them, like, whether that is the most original comedian or the hackiest comedian, it still is playing an instrument. You know what I mean? There's yeah. like, there's still plenty of people who are great at playing guitar who play the most original riff and the craziest solo. And you're like, oh my God, that's a badass guitarist. And then you could take someone else who can still kind of play it, but chooses to play, you know, covers <laughs> that have already been done. And you're kind of like, oh, you're not good because you're not original. It's like, well, no, they still can play the guitar. Yes. You know, and it's other, you know, I think about it all the time when I, when I see comics who, you know, own a room, but are hacky, it's like, well, you know, me personally, I don't, I don't like how they are you know, owning the room, but I can't deny they're still owning the room and you can't just do that. You still have to know how to play the instrument, whether the songs are very original or not. You still have to know how to play. For sure. That's um, point. And I think that's what people are they're like, oh yeah, but look, this guy just goes up and, you know, he does fart jokes and you're like, yeah, and I'm not crazy about fart jokes, but this crowd is definitely in the palm of his hand for an hour. And that is not easy to do. No. It's, <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's got to be respected regardless of what it looks like. It has to be acknowledged. Like he's doing it. He's doing it. I don't know how he's doing yeah. it, but he is yeah. doing it. Um, your style. And like all art, you know, it's other artists that like, you know, it, it, you and I would have the critique of someone where we're like, oh yeah, they, they own the room, but it's it's hacky. And it's like, yeah, yeah, but no paying customer gives two shits that it's hacky. And you're like, yeah, and I can't I can't argue that. <laughs> exactly. You win this round. Thank you yeah. for throwing me in my place. <laughs> <laughs> Your style, like it's funny you said like having fun on stage, how that's a goal for you. Cause like when you're you're one of the comics for sure that when I watch, I go, I can tell you're having fun. And I've often said that to people when they get off stage after a set and like i said in varying degrees of killing or not killing or just being whatever but i go you look like you're having fun yeah. and i'm like you were you're a person i always think of in that regard of like you seem to be up there for you primarily and i don't mean that in a selfish way but you know what i mean like you're kind of inviting the audience into your world and you trust that they're going to come yeah. with you were, how long did you how long did it take you to kind of get to that point where you felt like okay, wait a second, this is way more about me as opposed to worrying about you know what, how you're going to be received by this audience. Not that that ever fully goes away, but you understand what I mean. Yeah, no, totally. I don't think it ever does go away. I think that's one of the like ebbs and flows of feeling good about where your your act is at is that the the confidence to go on stage and be like, oh, I'm here for me and I'm going to have fun and because I I believe that I'm good at this and I believe that my ideas are are fun and funny i have confidence and faith that this audience uh you know if they're into my style of comedy will enjoy this and i think that it, it is just that it's confidence and it's something that you have to develop over time and i think i'm just really i'm really fortunate that that sort of personal epiphany happened to me uh early on i think it happens to um I think it happens to most successful comedians. They get to that point where they're, they start to go, Oh, actually, if I go on stage and I, I try to make myself happy, it tends to bring others towards me. I think it's that sort of that, that energy that people just, 
They're just attracted to confidence and they're attracted to a positive vibe that, you know, there's sometimes I'm on stage and I'm pretty sure I'm not making any sense to anyone, (laughs) but yet we're all still kind of like, we're all still laughing and enjoying it. And we kind of don't know why, but at the same time we're like, ah, who cares? The vibe is just, everybody's just feeling good. You know what I mean? Like, I know. And I, I, I think it takes, I guess it maybe it takes experience. I mean, I, I as we joke about, you know, Calgary and the the Blackfoot Inn, I mean, I I look back to 2006 and 2007 and the fact that I was able to come up there and, you know, go to a uh a stand-up comedy, you know, even though it was in the fall, like but like the summer camp of sorts of not just having the opportunity to perform I think almost every night for like a month on varying different shows, you know, either you're driving up to Grand Prairie to do, you know, two or three or four or five shows or whatever it is, or doing an open mic on Monday, a comedy Monday night, or doing a show at the Blackfoot Inn on a, on a Wednesday night or any, any local show, just getting on stage. And then on top of that, surrounding yourself with professionally funny people the entire time that you're doing it, it's kind of like working a muscle that once you, it's like riding a bike, you work that muscle to a point where you then kind of can't lose it as long as you're still performing every now and then. And I'm fortunate. I'm fortunate that in 2006 and 2007, I got to do that and I got to meet um, so many funny people on that, uh, that tour. It kind of helped me get to that place and have that epiphany. Cause at the beginning of that tour, I remember it. My first show was in Lethbridge. And I was terrified of, <laughs> of the the bar. I was terrified of the fact that this was in the Bush era. And I was pretty sure nobody was happy that an American was going to be on stage. <laughs> right. uh, but I, I, I got up there and uh, I didn't totally, I didn't totally enjoy it. But over the course of the month of being up there, I discovered the confidence to not care what the audience uh, was to, to concern myself with what, what the audience thought of me, but to go up and say, well, hey, this is what I do. And if you like it, great. And if you don't, hey, that's fine. We probably don't like the same the same stuff. And I think that's led to kind of where I'm at now so many years later. Yeah, I think you're right. It's like when I think back about that time, too, I would have been maybe two, three years in a stand-up. And I recall it the same way you do in terms of, it was like a summer camp of all these comics kind of gathering at all these rooms every single night and everyone just having fun. Like it was just, that's one of the things yeah. when you look at what I say often about when people are following their passion or curiosity or whatever it is you feel you're supposed to do, comedians do it in a way that's completely the opposite of how most folks do it. Like we don't even consider the money or how often we don't have to be there in terms of like vacation. Most folks apply for a job. It's like, what's the salary and how often do I not have to be here? <laughs> That's the first two things. They start, exactly. Right? Exactly. We're like, exactly. we're like, how yeah. often can I do it? And you can keep your money. Like for the first, for the yeah. first couple of years. But yeah. That time to me. Can was I fun. have a free drink? Yeah. Can I have a free drink? And how often can I do it? How often, how can, often I do it? can you exploit me? Yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay. I'm okay with you exploiting me. Will it cost me money to do this? <laughs> How much money will it cost yeah. me to do this? And can I get that raised every single week? <laughs> 
And I feel like that was our, that was just a summertime to be, just to be a comedian and enjoy the process of it. And I think I recall that time too, like really finally, like John Doerr was in town for quite a bit at that time. And, yep. and a bunch of us were just kind of hanging out and there was no pressure in a way. Like once you got to a point of like, Hey man, just go up and try it and see what happens. And that was kind of the vibe. Like it, yeah. it was a cool time. Yeah, I think I got a lot of that from uh, from hanging out with you guys and, uh, you know, from meeting John and John being like, hey, let's come up with a sketch to do on the Tuesday night show or the Wednesday night show or the, you know, the meeting Casey and Casey being like, oh, let's do characters on the Monday night show. Like, yeah, it was kind of great because not only were you, you know, working that muscle of, you know, your act, you also started working this muscle of just being funny outside of your act and being creative outside of your act, you know? Yeah. It's funny too. You brought up like as an American coming to Canada and worrying about how you'd be perceived. Excuse me. I was the same way playing in America for the first time. Like I remember thinking, Oh God, I'm Canadian and I'm the outsider. And I don't know if they're going to get me, but it's, it's interesting. The stories we tell ourselves, you know, before you step into a new market, (laughs) you're like, who who told you that? Oh, I just told myself this wouldn't go well (laughs) for some reason. Yeah. Oh, I just told myself that people hate me. And they're like, no, Mm -hmm. no one cares. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're like, we literally, and that's what I mean. When you put yourself in the average person's shoes, they're like, I just worked all day. I managed to come here to get a beer and a burger and I'm hoping to laugh, but like, they're not putting the forethought into it that we are like, all right, this is a new country. And like, they're like, no dude, I don't. I literally just dropped my kid off at baseball and I've got two hours to laugh. (laughs) So you can do that. And they're also like, by the way, if you don't even say you're Canadian, I'll probably never know. Exactly. So true. <laughs> That's hilarious too. Because like I, when yeah. I first started getting booked in the U.S., like I was sending out emails and stuff to like bookers, and I was like explaining my whole work visa process. And I'm like, these people don't give a shit. They're like, yeah, just put a clip yeah. up, dude. Just put a clip. I don't care that yeah. you've got your work visa and for how many years it is and what level it is. <laughs> it's like I'm like explaining yeah. my lifelong visa immigration story. <laughs> They're just like, yeah. They're like, yeah. none of us care, dude. Just tweet the tickets are on sale please yeah can you be here at eight that's all i don't know why you're doing the backstory of (laughs) (laughs) you just bring sometimes you can bring too much of your life to the process it's like nobody cares dude there's it's pictures are on sale for five bucks None of us know how anything works, so just be here, please. Yeah, that'd be just great. Please show up. Yeah, so that kind of once I accepted that, I'm like, oh, no one gives a shit. So yeah, you shouldn't either. Just go up, go up and enjoy yourself. But like your your style too of like uh, kind of always being open to improv and following, you know, your gut instinct as to where you want to go. I I always think like. I think you probably go up with some set idea most times. I know you've done con- con- like completely improv shows where you just kind of go up and and wing it. But where did you get that kind of that that style of like, yeah, I have some things in mind, but I'm also a hundred percent open to kind of just getting in this elevator and going to the fifth floor and, and doing whatever. Yeah. Like, is that did you have someone else that was... you saw that you saw that you kind of were like, oh man, that guy or that girl or that style or. Was it just something you kind of slowly evolved into yourself? I think it's definitely like different uh, motivations from seeing different people. I mean, from seeing Todd Glass uh, be so fun and silly on stage back in like 2005 and, and also in 2005, seeing like Todd Berry come through town and, and 
do, uh, you know, he was doing his act at the time, but when anytime you go into crowd work, you know, you start to have these revelations and you start to see these different flavors of how something can be, you know, seeing someone like Maria Bamford, um, makes me immediately go, Oh my God, look how incredibly silly while also being incredibly honest and vulnerable at the exact same time, or seeing someone like, uh, Tig Notaro and like even Todd Barry, the, the similar type of pace and delivery, knowing like, Oh, you actually are the one playing the music. So you can decide what the rhythm and the tone and the pace, you can decide all of that. There is no need to rush to a, a laugh. Um, just just mention those four in general because they they all four have very distinct uh, and different styles. Um, I think being exposed to comedians like that makes you realize, well, what is my honest, vulnerable, true, silly version? Like, what do I actually think comedy is and how I personally think it should be done for me? I think developing a philosophy, and I kind of learned this in, in soccer from my coach growing up, that you know, you should anything that you're passionate about, you really should have a philosophy and, a, and an opinion on it, because that's kind of your guidebook to how you personally approach it and how you do it. And I think seeing those comedians, it made me be like, well, what is my like, how do I come up with my stuff? And I realized early on, I was just not the comic to get my joke book out and write at a coffee shop. I really wanted to be and I still want to be. I really wish I could sit somewhere and write, but I'm just not like that. I'm, I'm, I'm very active. I need to get up. I need to be talking in my head um, over and over and over again. I do performances in my head, you know, randomly by default, especially if I'm high, dude, I'll go <laughs> off in my head. I'll go off in my head. Like I'm on stage and I'll be like, Oh my God, all this is so good. And then I can't remember uh, any of it. Right. But I, I, what, I, what I started to piece together very slowly uh, since 2006, very, very slowly, was if I can talk in my head and just keep going, and I really think this is funny, that is a muscle and a style that I should be able to uh, conquer. I should be able to go on stage with nothing and find and find humor and make it work because I am a funny person. You know, I, right. that's like when you and I have a conversation, I mean, the amount of conversations we've had since knowing each other for 12 years, never once have we sat and not laughed or been able to laugh at each other or contribute to a joke or come up with a joke or it's just, it's because of how we're, who we are and how we're wired. So yeah, kind of going back to 2006, uh, after that tour, I went and did the Seattle comedy competition and I did a show outside of the competition in Seattle. I did a show where I made up my whole set and uh, that, that came from the confidence of, of doing the, the Yuck Yucks Western tour. That, that's where that came from to even attempt it. And then I stumbled on performing like that again in Atlanta and um, I'm actually now I did a shot a documentary in Atlanta where I did six shows in a row, making up the entire hour start to finish. Insane, and uh, it was, it was surreal. And it was, it felt incredible. It was like this huge epiphany of, of something I, I greatly enjoyed. And I realized like, Oh, and this is also me, the, my entire career. If I think of something funny, I kind of write down some notes. And then I take it on stage and I try to form the whole thing 
out. And I don't think that's so different from a lot of comedians. You're probably similar to that yeah. where, you know, sometimes you think of a joke and you're like, Oh, this writes itself all done. And then there's another one where you go, ah, the start's funny and the end is funny, but I'll figure it out on stage. Yeah. You know, I, I think most, a lot of comics are like that, but yeah, I, for me, that's where my writing takes place. I kind of like getting back against a wall and having to figure my way, my way out of it in the moment. For some reason, I enjoy the, the rush of that and it doesn't work all the time. The yeah. Failing in that situation is the worst, <laughs> but it's fun. It's really fun when it works. Yeah. Well, I, that's the thing too. I think I've kind of started combining both of those kind of creative processes where I am trusting my instinct far more than I used to. Like, you know how, because you didn't <clears throat> start with like a writing type style of it. I, I used to always sit down, try and write an idea out. And then I'd be like, you know, your critical mind steps into it. And it's like, oh, that's shit. Or of what course. Are you? you don't do that. You've done yeah. something similar. And then you kind of squash it before it even goes. Whereas I think your flow state that you're talking about where you like that critic doesn't step in because he doesn't have time to step in. It's just like, you got to survive in the moment. And it's, it allows for, I think just that full creative output. You know what I mean? Like it's, you don't have the reins being yeah. slammed on all the time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, um, I think yeah, that's it, cool. It, um, recently trying to really figure out how to conquer how to conquer that that going on stage and again going back to what we said earlier like it's just that confidence of walking out going all right if i'm fun this should work right you know exactly and it's always worrying like you're in your head you're like well what if i can't think of anything to talk about but that's and also going back to us joking about the organic conversation but that that is the case with every conversation you've ever been in, you know, your friends who don't do stand up, they're like, Oh yeah, Trent, Trent's really funny. And it's not like you're doing your act on them. You're just walking into conversations and you're going, Oh, you're giving me these ingredients. Well, this is what I do with that information. Yeah. I think I heard Bill Burr talk about the same aspect of, you know, you respect it as an art form still, but also he goes, you know, if you have, if something funny happened to you or interesting, he goes, you don't write it down first and then go share it with your friend Rory. He's like, you just, you just trust it. <laughs> like, Rory, sit down and listen to this. I was at the mall today and I read it word for word. It's like, just tell me what happened. Like, it's like, it's, it's yeah. like so just trusting yeah. that organic nature, as he said, where it's like, yeah, just communicate whatever it is you're feeling in the moment, whatever that is, like trusting that instinct. But that takes, that takes a bit of courage too, right? In front of a live audience. Right. Um, oh my God, for sure. And I think it's, but it also, you know, we perform so much that it's kind of like, oh, you're working yourself and your brain and your confidence to trust your instinct isn't so hard to do because you are in the position to try it all the time. It's just a matter of whether you try it or not. And I, I think there's a lot of comics who they like trying it. I think a lot of comics like to go on stage and be like, Hey, I'm at a, you know, I'm at a mic tonight. This isn't a page. You know, if people are showing up and spending 30 bucks, it's like, all right, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but if people are showing up and it's, you know, it's a Monday night, it's like, well, that's kind of the point. The, the point of, of these these shows that we do that are five dollars or you know free you know the point of them is to figure out well what can i experiment with to grow and change and you know we you and i both know tons of comics who will never ever try to do that yeah, yeah. but then we also know 
you know, and then we also know just as many comics that get as bored with themselves as, you know, we get bored with ourselves. So if I didn't get bored with myself, I probably would not be the same comedian that I am. But because I can't remember most of my act, as soon as I step away from my act for a week, I can't remember the setups. I can't remember the the punchline. I can't remember the rhythm. I have to relearn my act every single time. That Like if I go on the road for a straight month, I got it. It's I could. It's so easy. But if I take a week off, yeah. I have to try to relearn it's the entire thing completely over again. And and you know, I I've, I've told people I was like, you know, I think my boredom with myself and my memory has been a a curse and a gift at the exact same time. It's pushed me to figure out, you know, how to find the joke again. And because of that, I find other things in the joke because I forgot what the joke was that I almost find this whole other angle that I would have missed. And also because I get so bored so quickly, it causes me to like, you know, really take chances on unfinished jokes because I'm just so bored yeah, with, you're, where, uh, with, with uh, my stuff. Yeah, you're right. Cause you can tell too, when a comedian is bored, like you're, it, it's literally an autopilot type thing, but I would kind of, yeah, I would describe your, your process as your act is your security blanket but you lose a security blanket after every show and need to get a new security blanket. It's like, where, did I, where did I lay that blanket? Shit. I can't yeah. find that. I'm going to Where did a, I, I, where really did I that. leave that bulletproof? Yeah. I left my bulletproof vest in the car as we go into this bank to try to take down these robbers. Yeah, exactly. Does anyone else have a spare or just something that could be hard? Anything yeah. hard. Yeah. I'll use that yeah, yeah, for yeah. now and build a vest out of that. Does anyone, Anyone have an invisibility cloak I, I could, could borrow? borrow real quick there, just for like seven minutes. Just for seven yeah. minutes, I've got to do this quick set. Um, I felt, too, when, I was, when we were recording our show last season, uh, for the first three months, I just focused on the show itself. And, like, you know what it's like? Like, you're running lines and you're doing whatever. And I was, I was really tired. Like, after the first in – the, in the evenings, I'd be exhausted just kind of being on set all day and stuff. But I wasn't doing stand-up in the evenings because I was just totally focused on the show. And then after about the third month, I'm like, man, I got to get back on stage. Like, I need to start because I missed it a lot. Like, for yeah. you now, doing more yeah. TV projects, doing more film stuff, are you still trying to balance the stand-up portion with that? Like, do you – and also, do you miss it when you're not doing it? Like, how are you How are you balancing all those things? Yeah. It's kind of been uh, – I the past year, maybe two years, has been kind of tough because I kind of figured out my – uh, how to still do it the way where I enjoy it. Um, I, don't, I don't know that I really enjoy driving across town in L.A. traffic to do a short set that I don't really know much um, out of it. I think I'm learning on how to now put shit together in a black we're kind of losing you there, Rory. We're kind of going. Just, you're going kind oh, of. In and sorry. Out there. That's all right. Am I back? Were you there? You go. Am oh, I back? You, you were. Yeah. You were. Am put, I back? You were putting a. Um, a and anyways, uh, I think that's the meaning of life. Thank so. you. That was the. Uh, yeah. That was a conclusion. That was. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, I I, I think it's. Uh, um, I think it's. I think what I'm currently doing is figuring out my relearning my uh, process. I think if the process is always evolving and changing. I think that kind of contributes to having different original, fresh ideas, you know, for you personally. I think it, it, it changes your 
perspective. So I, I'm kind of learning that I don't necessarily love doing 10 minute spots all over Los Angeles because I don't know what I really truly walk away with. But if I book myself to do an hour at a black box theater and 10 people show up or 70 people show up, either way, it really helps me figure out my, my act because I'm up there for an hour and I feel like it kind of helps me get ready for the road uh, more. I'm kind of learning that doing 10 minute sets, you know, it's fun when it's on certain shows and my friends will be there. Like if you were in town and you're like, Hey, I'm doing 10 at this thing. Like, Oh, maybe I'll jump on. And now we're, you know, there's a, there's a, a means to an end of why I'm doing the set, but just to go up now and do spots isn't the same as what it would. I don't feel that it's the same as what it used to be. So, yeah, you know, I am hopefully acting more and doing more and it's been a hard transition to accept that that's what I'm doing because you kind of get away from stand up, which is my income and you kind of put your chips on the table for acting, which is so up and down that you don't really know if you can rely on it as income. And then you find yourself as I do now in this gray area of wondering how do I do both? Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. I'm, I'm trying to figure out now how to do both the way that I like doing it, where I still enjoy, uh, still enjoy doing both. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's one of those things too, where the stand up world and the stand up uh, setup is, it's so immediate, you know? And then when you step into the film and TV yeah. world, you know, you, you put all this work into it, like you said, with all these other people in terms of collaboration, and then you have to wait. Like, you have to literally know. put it out in the world and go, that could be the best thing ever done or the worst thing yeah. ever created. Like, it's yeah. a weird transition in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a different, um, it's definitely a different payoff. And then also figuring out how to grow your career in terms of stand-up. You know, I feel like there's, I feel like I'm at a point now where it's like, all right, how do I think that I can effectively start selling more tickets in other venues? And how can I grow the exposure and grow the awareness? And, you know, while it's difficult and sometimes frustrating, I think what I enjoy about that is knowing that that is the job. The job is, you know, also this business approach of going, all right, well, now that I feel like I know what the product is and I have a lot of faith in the product, how do I now start to expose this product that I'm trying to sell? And uh, it's difficult. So if you don't stay on top of your standup, you definitely can lose that. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, if you abandon the standup for a little bit and you happen to hit you know, putting all your chips on the table for acting pays off. And then you can suddenly find yourself playing these bigger venues because yeah. now you're this recognizable face. It's so this weird, it's this weird seesaw and you're constantly looking for the, the equilibrium of it. Yeah, for sure. I went to, um, when we wrapped, I went to uh, New York city with my wife and it was my first time ever in New York. And I don't know if it was just like the fatigue of a full, my first full television season or if it was New York right. city, but like I dude, like I was exhausted. Like I, I was like, is this what yeah. New York city does to people? Or am I just coming in at the wrong time energy wise for myself? And like you live there for how long were you there? We were there for about four years, four years. What was your experience like in New York city in terms of like personally, professionally, what, what was your vibe there? I think, 
kind of relating to what you're saying uh, a little bit. When I would visit New York City, it wasn't the same for me. I didn't necessarily enjoy it uh, the same way because it's so big and there's so much going on uh, that you don't really know how you fit into it. And then you're visiting, so you only have a certain amount of time to figure out how you fit into it, and it can be exhausting and frustrating. Um, I'm willing to bet that, coupled with you coming off a full season of a show, uh, probably exhausted you. But And I'm, I'm also willing to bet that had you finished your TV show and then you're like, all right, now I'm going to go live in New York City for two months, you would have felt differently because you would have found your rhythm. You would have discovered how you fit into it. You would have figured out your schedule. You would have figured out who's doing what, who you enjoy being around, which comics inspire you. So who do you make an effort to watch and learn from? Um, I, I found that to be the case for me. When I lived there, I loved it. I mean, I now look back on New York and I miss it a great deal. It was so perfect for stand up getting up so often, so casually, so easily. Uh, not that it's easy to get up. I mean, obviously you have to you know, pay your dues and, and network and, and socialize and, and prove yourself. But, you know, once you are at a point where people will put you on their shows, you know, you could find yourself really working on an act every night of the week. And that, that really moves your, your stand-up along a little bit faster. You know, if you're trying to make a 20 minutes really good, you know, you're definitely going to get it where you like it in one week in New York city than probably any other city in the country. At least that's my experience. I know people get into a huge debate over where they should be, but for me personally, New York, New York was that place for me. Yeah. Kind of like a, like a workout place. And it's funny because you're right. There is that debate for comics about, you know, LA or New York, New York or LA. And I know, yeah. I know some folks who've really kind of fallen in love with one more so than the other. And I think, I think quite yeah. often it kind of has to do with where you are in your life, you know, where you are in your career and what you kind of need in that moment. And uh, there's folks who go to L.A., for example, and are like, I just can't do this. Other folks go and are like, not only do they love it on a professional level, they just love living in L.A. They love the California lifestyle, mm -hmm. going to the beach and enjoying the weather. And, and so I think you kind of have to be honest with where you are in your life, if that makes any sense, you know? I, I think it makes a ton of sense. I used to... I used to think that there wasn't much of a debate. I always thought in my head, like, oh, well, if you're trying to be a stand-up, go to New York City because the New York, New York City is the, to me, is like the university of stand-up. It's going to, you know, those crowds are going to chew you up and spit you out, and you're going to figure out how to stand back up and go back in, and you're going to figure out how to work a crowd. You're going to watch very professional, you know, comedians like Dave Attell go up and, you know, make it look like it's just the easiest fucking thing in the world. You know, being around that, I think, helps. But then again, you talk to someone who moved to L.A. first or started even in L.A. and they're doing great. And you're kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess I don't really I guess I don't really know any experience outside of my own. If anybody comes to me and says, where should I move? I'm always like, well, I moved to New York City and this is why I thought it was the right move. And I think it's why it's a good move. But, you know, the very the same version of me could defend LA and that person be like, all right, well, I didn't walk away with any new information. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks for nothing, Rory. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for, thanks for the tip that didn't lead to anything. That was the worst counseling session I've ever been to. <laughs> um, yeah. So you, you step into the whole acting world and I got to tell you, man, uh, my wife and I went to, to see, I feel pretty. And I was like, he's doing it. He's, this is, 
amazing. It was like, I really, first and foremost, I loved the movie. I thought the message of the film was like so good and so important, I think, at nice. this, this time right Thank now. You. I think more so than anything. So I think people should see it just for that reason. But I thought I thought the performances in it were incredible. I thought yours was fantastic. And I don't just say that because you're my friend. Thank I'm you. like, I really believed you were you were that dude. Like, I'm like, that's no, you're that, that he's that dude. Now, I did stand up in the theater and yell out, I know that guy. He stayed at my house. Like I did do that a number of times yeah. and people did not appreciate that. And you only saw the, yes, yeah, so you only saw my first scene cause you were asked to leave. That's and correct. that's why you thought it was so good. That's correct. Like, oh, he's so good. They're like, well, if you saw the whole movie, you know that he really did. performance. <laughs> I waited, I waited outside and asked people. So what happened after that? So what happened after yeah, the first, so what scene? happened after I got thrown out and people were not happy with me. They, didn't they were talk. not willing to befriend me. They did not want to share what they knew. They did not want to share what they knew, no. which I thought was also quite rude. But, uh, but I thought, yeah, I mean, I thought you, I, can you imagine just on that guy? Like, Hey, are you eating that popcorn? Yeah. Also, what happened after this? What happened after the 15 minute mark? What? Hey, where are you going? Where yeah. You what going? happened after I was, yeah. Whatever. After I was expelled from the theater, I had a game misconduct from a film. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought the movie was so good. And I'm like, I thought, um, I also thought too, like, you're perfect for that role, like that role in that genre of film. Like, I'm like, that is, that is exactly where you should be in some regards. Like what, when you, this process of making the movie and then once it comes out, like kind of walk me through, walk me through that kind of roller coaster and that machine of what it's like to be a part of a, a bigger film like that. Yeah. It's so weird because it's just now coming up on a year that that roller coaster kind of started and it's kind of been slowly coming to an end. And I think actually the movie will be, I think it's on demand now, but I think it'll be on Netflix by the end of this month, which kind of strangely makes it one full year that I was on this crazy <laughs> roller coaster. Crazy. Um, but truthfully, you know, I can't, I can't say much to, um, the, the, basically how I got the role was uh, Amy, they they needed a, someone to fill a role because the actor they originally had couldn't, they couldn't make the work visa uh, work for the actor. And Amy uh, had just seen my special and I had worked with her before. And we've been, uh, we've been friends for um, probably since about 2007 or so. And she she threw my name in there and said, what if we get Rory? And they were about four days away from shooting. Uh, so they were like, yeah, okay. We are okay with it being him. And so I got the script and all it took was me saying, yeah, I want to do it. And so I, I pretty much got the script. And then three days later was in New York city to, you know, do my whole costume wardrobe fitting and do some camera tests. And then the next day we started shooting a scene in New York city. And I was just suddenly, you know, I read a script in my in my house, and then I just suddenly was in it, living it. And um, that was about six weeks, five or six weeks of doing that in New York City and Boston. And then uh, we wrapped, and they, and then it, you know, it was edited, it tested well, so they moved up the release date to April, and then it came out in April, and it's just kind of been bizarre. I mean, it was such a fun, cool experience because I haven't ever been cast in that kind of role that stepping into it, I was very nervous to screw it up. And I was like, Oh, I don't want to screw this up. I'm filling in. I want to make sure I do well. This is such a good opportunity for me. And I think it's a good movie. And so, uh, 
yeah, my whole thing was like, all right, how can I just play this character so that people truly believe that these two people would be in a relationship? Because that's that takes me out of a lot of romantic comedies when I watch it and I just don't believe the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, all right, no matter what it takes, make sure people believe the chemistry and, you know, see what vibe and energy I'm getting in these scenes and then figure out what is the middle ground. So it was cool. It was a very cool experience. I was very nervous and it wasn't until I saw a cut of the movie where I thought, Oh my God, I think I actually, I think I might be an actor. (laughs) (laughs) I picture you, I picture you see the cut of the movie and then calling people, you know, guys, guys, I think I might be an actor. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, it's not confirmed yet, but I think, I'm pretty sure <laughs> it's such a, but that's also, I feel like that kind of, it kind of matches stand up in a way because I've been acting in things for like seven years and it took seven years for me to go, you know what? I don't think I'm tricking anybody anymore. I think I can actually do this. Right. <laughs> exactly. But you almost have to like, you almost have to give yourself permission to be something, you know, if that makes any sense too. like, yeah, you know, the, yeah. again, it's that story you tell yourself like, ah, I'm not, I'm not that, or I'm not that guy or whatever. But then once you do it, you're like, right. wait now, I am that guy. I didn't know I was, that, I was wearing yeah. that jacket the whole or you, time. Or you realize, yeah. Or you realize you want to be, you yeah. want to be that, you know, it wasn't, I, that, that after having done that and seen it, it got me really hungry where I was like, Oh man, that worked in muscle that I want to, you know, I'm now coming up on a year almost of not having worked that muscle again. It's like the longest amount of times between performing stand up. You're like, yeah, oh, man, I had so much fun on that first show. What time is the second show? They're like, it's going to be at 8 p.m. also, but it's going to be 365 days from now. Yeah. You're like, oh, all right. Well, okay, I bet well, it doesn't go the same. You have guys got my number. Um, so. so, yeah, it, it, it got me addicted. And now I'm just. You know, like acting does, you you get addicted and then you sit back and wait to get to do your either your own thing that you create or uh, get cast in something. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's like, ah, I want to bite off some more of this and see if I can do it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's exactly more in a different way. Yeah, that's exactly what happened with me, too. I think with our show, like just being behind the camera every single day, I'm like you kind of fall yeah. back in love with it. Cause I had a time where I was doing a bunch of commercials and stuff and then it was completely stand up for a bunch of years. And then I realized like, Oh man, I, I really love this. And then seeing how you can make subtle. Cause to me, acting is about detail, like small minuscule detail. And that's, I love that stuff. Like I love how a, cho- yeah. a choice you could make in a scene where you're, you're having your heart broken the choices you have to make in that moment. Like there's so many of them from, what your face is doing to the tone you're using. You know what I mean? Like it, to me that, that detail stuff is really fun to play with and find. Right, 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 right. Absolutely. And, uh, once you're in front of it, the more you do it, the more you want to do it. And so it kind of just, you know, it just keeps going on and on and on. Um, yeah, you find that comfort. Yeah. Yeah. Where you kind of go, okay, I'm going to be completely vulnerable and take a chance here and make a choice. And you just trust that it's going to work out and that the director will find what they need out of it, you know, but that, right. that like almost like stand up where you're, you know, you, again, you're exercising that muscle and like, yeah, this is, I'm going to flow here and it's, it's all good, you know, at the end of the day. Um, right. What have you got coming up next? What's uh, so you're going to try and get this pilot sorted out 
and uh yes we shoot this pilot and so uh because of that i'm not like really doing uh i'm not really working out my next hour for like sort of a means to an end you know i perform it uh when i get booked for stuff to you know to have it and be like all right i have an hour that's not my special and so i'm still working it out and figuring out but yeah the the main focus has just been this pilot and hoping that uh we shoot it you know, and make it as funny as we can and make it look as good as we can. And then Comedy Central wants to buy a season of it. And then I'm pretty sure the moment I get the the thumbs up on that, I might try to sort this hour out to shoot maybe in December and then uh, just go full on TV show until we get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> This has been TV Masterclass with Rory Scoville. Just to... <laughs> yeah, go until you can get canceled. Oh man, like it's like that's the other thing too. I think people on the outside of the entertainment world don't realize, like, for something to go from a thought in someone's head to an actual TV show that actually is made and put in front of other human beings to see is like there's so yeah. much shit to go through. From like, I got a concept. It is so long and so difficult. <laughs> it's insane. Yes. yes. <laughs> That concept will take years it's, to get there. It's insane. And like, you know, again, it's like someone saying, oh, I'd like to write a script or whatever, you know? And I'm like, that's awesome, man. You know, but I don't know what else to say yeah. because that's great. Like that's literally half of step one out of 5 million right. that are going to have to happen. And again, you don't, you don't <laughs> right. want to discourage it. You're just like, do you have any idea how much heartbreak is waiting for you? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You have no idea what you've currently accomplished. A person yeah. you've never met in your life wearing a suit is going to decide whether or not your dream comes to fruition. It's like, what? What do you yeah. mean? I'm just yeah. telling you, someone in a suit is going to decide whether or not. Someone in your suit from the Matrix. That's right. That's right. From the Matrix. Picture the Matrix. Someone like yeah. that is going to decide whether or not this thing is seen by other eyeballs. It's just, it's amazing how much it has to go through to, <laughs> to actually be seen by people, which is so crazy yeah. when you think about the internet now, about how you and I could get together with our iPhones and just shoot something ridiculous and slap it up on the internet. It's like making a TV show is the exact opposite of that. It's like the complete, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. What do we got for a budget? Yeah. Like, you know, it's like everything's, everything's in mud. Yeah. Everything's in mud. Yeah. Quicksand. Really quicksand is Very, better. <laughs> more, slow sand. It won't survive. It will die. It, it will die. It's just a matter of when it'll sink. That's what we're, that's basically what we're betting on. We're, that's the horse we know will not win, but we're just betting on it. Um, all right, man. Well, to wrap this up, I've asked this question to a lot of the guests on the podcast and, I find the uh, answers to it usually rather interesting. So I will pose it to you, sir. The question is, what is the biggest misconception people have about you? And then what is the reality? About me? Yeah. Oh, hello? Yeah. Can you hear me? Can you still hear hello? me? Hello? Can you hear me? Are you there? I can hello, he hello, hello. I can hear you. Can oh, you there you are. There you are. There you oh, are. There you go. I can hear you. You were there the whole time. Um, um, yeah. What no is... joke. When it went silent, when it went silent, uh, and I thought that I maybe had accidentally hung up or lost you, I was like, God, that's a perfect way to answer that question. 
<laughs> like I just what's a what what's a misconception? Oh, okay, that you're a you're a care care <laughs> you care and that you're there for your friends when they ask you. Okay, so you abandon people. People don't know that you abandon people. Okay, got it. And got I'm it. like, hello, hello. Um, well, that's been the podcast, everybody. I guess we got our answer. Uh, he's not reliable. Um, we'll take that as he's not reliable. <laughs> Um, I, I don't, I, I would say professionally, um, I'm going to try to answer two different ways. I would say a big misconception I think possibly is that people think that every single set that I do is somehow, you know, people are like, it never, it's never the same, but I don't, I don't know that that's always the case. I appreciate that maybe some people think that, and I don't want to tell people that that's uh, not the case. If it means they'll buy some tickets and come to see the shows, uh, I would say that's a very generous assessment of what I do because I truly don't think it's so drastically uh, different, but it's also a big motivation for me wanting to figure out how to make it drastically different with the improv stuff uh, every every single show. Um and then I think the other misconception is uh, possibly that I uh, I that I didn't vote for Trump. I, mean, mm. I love the guy. Um, <laughs> did I just ruin any any repu- any reputation I've built up over this whole podcast? Is just shattered at the end. Like, oh, never mind. Uh, never mind. I was going to check out this comic that Trent introduced us to, but now I hate him. Now I just, I can't go um, there at all. Yeah, but now I, I can't. No. Um, I don't know. I guess the misconception is that I, uh, I don't know. I feel like that maybe I'm not, uh, I think that maybe you can relate to this too. It's that uh, my athleticism. I think I have a common misconception that people think that stand-up comedians uh, maybe don't necessarily get into sports as much as they do, but I've really, I know a ton of comics you included who who actually excel at really well at uh at sports yeah um and i would say that uh i fall into that i think i think i'm actually i I have a lot of confidence about my ability to play soccer and probably more so than i do my ability to do (laughs) stand-up and i think uh people probably would not would not guess that yeah i think it's i think people perceive comedians in general as awkward kind of beings stumbling through life and that <laughs> there's no way yeah. we could be actually efficient you know in a in a uh, realm of sport in some capacity and so you're right i know a lot of <laughs> a lot of athletes who are like comedians who are athletes are like yeah no i actually played that at a pretty high level like really Did you? Well, wow that's yeah that's surprising i didn't yeah. know <laughs> why why is that surprising yeah you just you just seem so yeah. Uh, and they're like, well, because you're so good at you're so good at giving speeches. I thought there's no way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, it's the only profession where people assume you're not athletic. If you're a plumber, it's not like yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't picture you uh, playing hockey. I don't picture you. Uh, you're yeah. just great at fixing that sink, and I just don't see how how you could put on a pair of skates <laughs> and skate you were around. Born. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just it's, thought you were born doing the thing you do professionally. So, I don't know. Were you always a plumber? Like since birth, did you always plumb? Um, <laughs> well, dude, thanks, <laughs> thanks so much for doing this. Uh, I uh, yeah, thank you, thank It was great to catch up with you, and uh, all the best with the pilot. I hope it hope it goes through all the hoops and is a massive success on the other end. I hope all the hoops have fire, and we have to go through fire hoops <laughs> to get it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's the name of my band, actually. They're called Fire Hoops and Fire uh, Fire Hoops. Hi, yeah. Fire Hoops. Um, all right, buddy. <laughs> thanks so much. All right, man. Take care. Yeah, dude. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right, bye bye. What a good dude, huh? Just a good, good dude. Oh, yeah. Hope to see that guy again soon. He's just hes just good people. That's the one thing about Rory. You know, I think incredibly talented dude, but extremely kind and humble. And so you just you just root for people like that, you know? You just think that they deserve uh, the world, and he, uh, he definitely does. So I hope you enjoyed that one. Um, and thanks for listening again this week. Just want to give you a little reminder uh, about the gathering coming up this weekend. Check that out. Go to thegatheringburlington.com. Also, uh, yours truly, that's right, me. Uh, I've got dates coming up as well, too. I'm at the Laugh Shop in Calgary, August 30th to September 1st. That's my last show in Calgary for quite some time as I head back to Halifax. Um, and start on 22 <clears throat> and also going to be playing some stand-up shows in Halifax September 14th to 15th at the Last Laugh Comedy Club so check those out as well thanks so much for listening don't forget to give us a review uh, on iTunes and share this thing and don't forget to subscribe so you keep getting um, new episodes of this thanks so much I really appreciate it you have a fantastic week you're the best alright bye